0: Welcome to episode forty-seven of the Tech Done Right podcast, Table podcast about building better software careers, companies, and communities. I'm Noel Rappin. Today on the show, we have Mercedes Bernard. Mercedes is a senior software engineer with DevMind here in Chicago. Our topic this week is career growth. There's a perception in the software industry that it's hard to get your company to invest in your growth, even though it's in your company's best interest to improve your team, and even though training is cheaper than hiring. Mercedes and I talk about what your company can do to empower early career developers and build your team. Before we start the show, a few quick messages. TableXI is offering training for developer and product teams. If you want me to come to your place of business and run a workshop on testing or legacy code or agile teams, uh, that is a thing that we can make happen, and it will be great. You should definitely try and do it. Uh, For more information, you can email us at workshops at tablexi.com or hit our list of offerings on our website at tablexi.com slash workshops. And of course, if you like the show, tell a friend, tell a colleague, tell your social media network. Those are all very helpful. Tell me. That's always nice to hear. And if you'd like to review us on Apple Podcasts, that really does help people find the show, which every podcast says and still remains true. And now, here is my conversation with Mercedes. Mercedes, would you like to introduce yourself to everybody?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I'm Mercedes Bernard. I'm a senior software engineer here in Chicago with DevMind. Uh, I've been with DevMind for about a year, a little less than a year now, and my background is traditionally in consulting, uh, working with clients. I've done a little bit of product development, but very little. So I prefer to be in the consulting space where you get to work with a variety of people and a variety of teams.
0: And what we're going to talk about today is leveling up. We're going to talk about what you can do as an organization to help your entry-level developers become mid-level and senior levels? And also, I suppose what you can do if you are an entry-level developer and you want to become a mid or senior level, what do you think is the biggest misconception about what it takes to have people go from entry-level to mid and senior in this industry?
1: For me personally, I think the biggest misconception is the fact that you need to you know, be the quote unquote rock star programmer. What I've seen in my, you know, day to day at various jobs has always been that the strongest senior devs are the ones who can communicate their ideas really well, who can get everybody on the same page and bring everybody on board with an idea and then kind of spearhead that idea moving forward, regardless of what technology stack or how long they've been working in that stack.
0: And so sometimes we just say that like that comes, that kind of thing comes with experience, but you know, of course it it doesn't just sort of happen. What was important to you as you moved from entry level onward and, and, and how do you feel like the best ways are to start helping other people, uh, make that, make that journey?
1: Yeah, I think the best way to do that is to provide the opportunities for people to gain that experience. So like you said, it does take time, but time is not the only factor because you could sit at a desk all day and watch people around you work. But if you don't get the chance to really step up and, you know, in small doses, and then increasingly more and more fulfill those roles and take on those challenges, like you, you're not going to grow and gain that experience. So I think looking back at my career up until this point, the best thing that anybody's ever been able to do for me is to give me the opportunity to do something that I've never done before, something that really pushes me while providing a support system throughout the entirety of that challenge or that scenario. And so that's what I try to do for all of my teams as well.
0: Do you have a sense of what kind of structure works for helping people move forward? Like what sorts of things does DevMind do that you feel like works in this respect?
1: On my project, we've been trying some new things out. So I definitely don't pretend to have the answers here. I think you can do different things on different teams and it'll work well. But what we've seen is... We've introduced this idea of a domain expert, which is what we're calling it. It's not the best name, but we have a large project. It's going to be like an 18-month project. There's lots of really large features or epics, if you're familiar with that terminology. And we try to make sure that every single person on the project gets to own one of those large features. And when we talk about ownership, we don't mean that you know they have to sit down and code it from start to finish, and they're responsible for all the levels of success with it, but they become the point of contact for the client, which gives them client engagement and consulting experience. They also are responsible for the requirements gathering and the documentation. They're responsible for explaining everything that they've learned about the feature and about the requirements to the rest of the team. And so that really helps technical communication skills. And then they also become an advocate during sprint planning for their feature to make sure that you know, we're prioritizing their stories adequately, or you know if we need to bump something up or down, depending on what's going on and how much information we have. It gives them a chance to practice those skills and to practice making those decisions.
0: And how large a team is that?
1: Right now, we are eight developers.
0: And how many of them are senior and how many of them are entry level?
1: One senior, and then I would say the rest are split 50-50, mid and junior.
0: Mm -hmm. One of the things we do at TableXI is that most of our projects don't have that large a project team. But we do like to give people those kinds of opportunities to. So we do a couple of different things inside projects. We don't do anything quite as formal as like requiring, uh, uh, quite as formal as having that sort of one feature to a person kind of split. But we do try to get everybody involved in terms of owning different parts of the project or, or gathering different kinds of, of the project. Outside of projects, uh, one thing we do is that everybody at TableXI junior mid-level or senior, has somebody internally who we call their sponsor, um, even though nobody really likes the name, we haven't come up with anything better yet. And that's just somebody at the company who has some knowledge or some experience that you want to benefit from. Usually it's somebody in your department, but you can switch off and have somebody from another department if you want to like really level up on something else. And that person helps you. You meet with them every couple of weeks and that person helps you talk about like what kinds of skills to learn. It can help uh, with some specific aspects of projects or helps just sort of in general provide guidance moving forward. So that that's what helps us an awful lot, I think, in terms of, of having people level up. I think How do you get around the issue? I could say one of the things that happens in this industry sort of stereotypically is that the only way for people to gain levels is to switch companies um, because their existing company, you know, once somebody's hired entry level at a company, it's very hard to get people to see you as anything other than that. Does the process of giving entry level people ownership over specific features help with that kind of perception internally?
1: I think it does. There's a lot that we can unpack with that question. I think you bring up a really great point that, yeah, job switching often is kind of seen as the normal career progression, which is unfortunate and something I feel really strongly about. I think by giving your entry level and early career team members the opportunity to show their skills and to show what they're capable of, it does change that perception I know like, you know, the people who start as an intern kind of always get treated as that intern, but if you're having somebody who they're the ones who are communicating with the client and who the client trusts about, you know, everything related to that part of the application or if you have somebody who can really steer the conversation in a meeting because they're the ones with that expertise, I don't think you have any choice but to start to view them as, you know, you have to acknowledge their growth. You see that they're growing. And actually, since we've started doing this on my project here at DevMind, you know, we started the project, there were only five of us, and we've already seen some promotions that I think, I don't want to attribute it all to the experience on just this project. Cause I think, like you said, mentorship, sponsorship, advocacy, all plays a really big role, but I do think that the skills that the people have gained by doing the softer part of this job has contributed to getting those promotions and gaining that experience.
0: One thing that becomes kind of contentious when you start talking about promotions and and moving people up is levels and, and definition, and this becomes complicated. I think in two ways. Like on the employee side, there's the question of how do I know that I'm not entry level anymore? Or when do I get to feel like I have experience that's valuable? And then on the company side it's also like how do you handle promotions? How formally do you define levels and that kind of thing? Let's start maybe talking about the company side first. Like what do you what how do you feel about strict levels or bands or anything like that? Do you feel like those are valuable?
1: oh, I'm so conflicted on this. I do think it's valuable to set clear expectations. I think it's important to let your employees know if you do these things, it'll be acknowledged and rewarded. And you know there's that positive feedback loop. But on the other side of it, if you do it in a very strict fashion, you create boxes that it inhibits the ability for somebody to step in and see a need and fulfill it before you even know you have it. And
0: can you expand on that a little bit?
1: Yeah. I think if you prioritize technical ability or technical knowledge, and that is what you reward with your promotion hierarchy, then I think what you end up seeing is you see a lot of really strong programmers, really strong engineers who have spent their career focusing on learning the next framework, learning, you know, going really deep in the technology stack. And then what ends up happening is when they get promoted into management, which is a very common scenario, they didn't have the time to spend on their mentorship ability and their coaching skills and their communication style. And I think, you know, it's kind of a stereotype in this industry, but we do tend to see people who they've been in the tech for a really long time and then it's a very big challenge to shift their thinking into mentorship and management
0: yeah i've, I've gone back and forth on this because i was at a company that had boxes like this It was a really sort of a it was a very very large company and they had you know very strict level band system that was used for salaries and and all kinds and internal hierarchy and things like that and in practice it was just it was unpleasant <laughs> It was yeah it was competitive internally in a weird way so you know having having come from that I, I felt like that this is a terrible idea no, nobody should ever do this and then I was also at a number of small companies that sort of that all came to this problem at a certain size and they kind of said oh I know what we're gonna do we're gonna build a big old level key that's going to define every skill at every level and just would pour a ton of time into that and and never get anywhere
1: right. My feeling of that too is there's no possible way for you to know every valuable skill that you would want somebody to invest in until somebody does it and then they bring it and you realize, wow, this really balances out our team. We didn't even know that we needed this. And so if you're being very prescriptive in what you value, I mean... You'll always get those amazing individuals, but a lot of times you're telling people don't spend your time if it's not on the list. Don't do it, and then you lose out on so much talent and so many skills that you could have on your team.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really great point. You, you often in all kinds of things, you get what you measure and you get what you explicitly promote, <laughs> in, right? In all kinds of senses of the word. I eventually, like, also on the other side, came to think that that having the promotional bands or levels or what have you be completely implicit also has problems.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: And, you know, there's, there's uncertainty, there's the possibility of conscious or unconscious favoritism. There's, you know, nobody really knows what they need to do next to grow. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I come out of this in kind of a jumble. One of the things that we've started to do at at TableXI is we, we, we've started to go to a more formal Level method, and to some extent, a lot of it is based on non-technical skills, but a lot of it is also based on outcomes rather than skills. If that makes sense,
1: it does. I'd be interested to know how you define the outcome or how you measure the outcome.
0: I I should not like speak to all of this because I am not. On the other hand, I have the microphone. And nobody else here does. And nobody else at like does. We uh, a lot of people have put a lot of effort into this, who are not me. And I think that one of the things that one of the ways that we're determining it is through kind of a peer review process. and and the question in the peer review process is basically, do you observe this behavior? Like do you continually observe it? Do you sometimes observe it? And that has issues, I think, but it seems to be right now the least bad way to solve this that we've sort of found so far. I think there's a sense of scope and autonomy. I don't know if you've, um, this is the kind of thing that Brandon Hayes, I think talks about in terms of uh, becoming more senior, that the process of becoming more senior is a process of gaining autonomy and also widening the scope of your actions. And so like you were saying that ownership of a feature is something that helps you move on from being entry level. And then it becomes ownership of a subsystem or ownership of a project. And you increase the ability, the amount of complexity that you can that you can sort of handle autonomously. Uh, and that's what sort of defines entry level versus senior. Uh, and then we just sort of kind of define what that means alongside, you know, in different axes. I'm way, I'm way oversimplifying it and uh, we're probably probably getting some of it wrong. So I apologize on behalf of the table side people that have been working on this. But that that's basically the goal.
1: Yeah, that's all really key, right? And if anybody looks back at their career, it is all about when you got to take on the next big thing and the next big challenge and when you felt like, okay, I've got this. So I'm going to take on and own another bigger challenge. And it's just a progression. I think the key piece that I'm finding more and more how important it is, is to make sure that it's not a trial by fire type thing and that there's a solid support system as your entry level folks, or if you are that entry level person, as you are taking on that challenge that you have the structures and systems in place so that you're not left on your own and you can ask questions. You can have somebody read that email before you send it. You can get you know various opinions so that you can make informed decisions. And I think the more that I think about how to help support people in this, I'm realizing how important offering various forms of support is.
0: What does that look like in practice? Do you have somebody you say like you, entry level developer, uh, own this new feature? If you have any questions, ask Mercedes. Or is it more? Is it more structured than that?
1: It starts more structured than that. So the way that I do it personally, and the way that I think works pretty well across the board, is to start with you know an initial. If this is the first time that uh, the person's going to be owning something or taking on this level of responsibility, having your typical handoff meeting can be really helpful to, you know, communicate the purpose of just the whole feature and why you're asking this person to own it and what you see that they can bring to this while also clearly defining expectations. I think that's incredibly important. So clearly defining What are the roles and responsibilities? What is in scope? What's not in scope? And then setting up some sort of feedback loop, whether that's, you know, we'll check in once a week or we'll check in on an as needed basis. And I think this is where you can really start to tailor it and personalize it because some people, they love the responsibility and they want to run with it, which is great because then, you you know, they'll only reach out when they really need help and that's fine where some people they have imposter syndrome a lot of times or you know they're just cautious and with having more structured check-ins you can offer that encouragement and that support and let them know what they're doing well and what impressed you and then going forward it can be not check-ins and not meetings that support could be like i said reading an email or prepping before they're going to lead a meeting or doing pairing on, you know, data modeling and architecture, because, yeah, they probably, you know, the whole team is going to pair on implementing the feature, but they need to decide what stories to write, how to implement it. And a lot of times, you know, two brains are better than one, and you can help coach through that process and show them what to look for and help them get through that process on their own. So that the next time, you know they feel more confident about it and they'll lean on you less and less until you know they're running it which is ultimately what you want right like if you're doing your job well as a lead dev and as a senior dev you want to be mentoring and coaching your team members to be able to take your job
0: you want to make yourself gradually irrelevant exactly which is actually how they describe parenting <laughs> Terrifying, actually. You know, that, that reminds me. There's an educational term, scaffolding, which is a structure that you put in place for somebody who is learning a skill. Generally, uh, with the idea that eventually you take away the structure and the person's already learned the thing, so they they don't need it anymore. And it sounds to me like that's the that's what you're providing. You're providing a structure specifically to enable a first or, or first or second time. Like feature owner to succeed with the idea being that eventually they won't need it and you won't have to do it, but they will only be successful if they have that support structure the first couple of times.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, some people, it might not be their first or second time. And that's where that personalization is really key to let them tell you what they need, because we all come to this job from different jobs and there's no way you can know everybody's background. So, I do think it's important to listen to the individual because a lot of times, you know, everybody needs something different. But, yeah, I think sca- – I haven't heard of scaffolding, so that's really interesting.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a very broad concept, but I, we used to talk about it. I used to do research into teaching programming in general, um, and that's a concept like you, you – you know when you're learning a programming language or a tool, you you know you use tutorials, you have interactive devices, you have things that eventually you don't need. And it's the same way with learning these these more project based skills. The first couple times you need to see somebody do it. I think it's just harder to have like automated support for that kind of thing, and you need that kind of personal support, which, as you say, is, is needs to be personalized and can be really challenging. Yeah. What are some things that you often see? entry-level people struggle with as they move to greater levels of autonomy or greater range?
1: The first one I hinted at a little bit, but I think it's confidence. You know, imposter syndrome gets the best of us all the time. There are a lot of times where I need to remember to communicate all of the ways that I see the person doing an amazing job because it can be really hard to see for yourself if you're hung up on I haven't heard back from the client on this and I haven't done this and like that didn't work well and there is no cure-all for that but that's one of the biggest challenges the other just in terms of broad generalizations is time management so making that transition from The individual contributor who grinds through the JIRA tickets to having to juggle, there's going to be some meetings and I'm going to have to prioritize some of my time to write this documentation, or I'm going to have to spend some time thinking how I'm going to do the knowledge share with the team so that everybody else knows what I learned. And I think that can be a challenge when you're used to really focusing on delivery all the time to really find the time and see the value in, in the meetings.
0: (laughs) What kinds of things do you do to help people? You said something that you do to help people mitigate confidence issues. What do you, is there something that you do to help people sort of understand their time management issues?
1: I think this is one of the things that I could do much better, but I do start by trying to have those meetings with the person. So if we do have to sit down and, define a data model or write some documentation, putting that time on their calendar for them and to walk through it with them can be helpful for nothing else, just so that they can see how much time it actually takes to do some of this stuff so that they know how to plan for it moving forward. And then I honestly think it's just a matter of check-ins and reminders to make sure that they're aware of upcoming deadlines so that it doesn't sneak up on them. And so that they do have a chance to work that into their schedule.
0: Yeah. One thing I see that's related to time management is sort of the ability to take a project level view of issues as opposed to like a feature level view and to do things like prioritize bugs or prioritize features. You know, We only have this amount of budget or time for this. How can we give the, the client the most of what they need? I think that a lot of learning environments for learning programming don't really give you exposure to that kind of problem solving. And that's something that I see entry-level people kind of struggle with on their first or second kind of large project, often try to wish that those constraints weren't there. Right. And they had the ability to just solve all the problems. So do you also see that? How do you deal with that kind of perspective issue?
1: Yeah, I do see it we all have those rabbit holes that we fall down as a team, right? There are always always those features where you think that you need to refactor this and you could make this better and you solve for problems that don't exist yet. And I think that's something that we're trying to get better at. So on my team, what we've been trying to do lately is we have two rules that we've been trying to follow. One is until you've done it a third time, don't try to abstract it out and make it clever. And then the other one is if it's not a requirement now, and if it's not a use case that happens now, don't code for it. There's something to be said for making your code flexible and extensible and all of those things. But it's very easy to fall down that over engineering hole and solve problems that are never actually going to be problems. And so I think that's something that we've been working really hard on. And I actually think that by having everybody aware of the project timeline and aware of the estimated timeline for the feature that they own has really helped a lot because, you know, if they know that there's stuff supposed to be done in three sprints and we're in the middle of sprint 2 it really does help with making those quick prioritization decisions
0: yeah i think you can trace my career with a decreasing amount of joy in the word clever as applies to a software solution yeah <laughs> and I, yeah i think that that's, that that's definitely something that that people have to get the hang of that again a lot of learning environments like really prioritize the clever, the metaprogramming, the super highly refactored, the fully tested to a fault kind of process that you can't always do on a project with a fixed amount of resources available to it.
1: Yeah. On my team, I'm actually the programmer who falls down those holes a lot. And it's uh, it's my team who holds me accountable. There's lots of PR comments that are like, well, is this a thing yet? I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's what the original XP people used to call Yagni. Uh, you ain't gonna need it.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> right, and I think right, I, and I think that like getting to understand all of the different stakeholders and all of the different cross pressures is a really important part of increasing your perspective and and, and moving into these sort of mid level, senior level positions. At what point do you? allow, not allow, at what point are you structured so that entry-level people can like be on the support teaching mentoring side themselves?
1: So here at DevMind, we have something similar to what you mentioned at TableXI with sponsors. We call ours mentors. And that starts pretty much as soon as possible. So the way that we do it is that everybody who wants one has a mentor and everyone who wants to be a mentor can be one because we kind of view it as you can learn something from everybody, you know, in the context of the whole company, we try to encourage it with everything, whether it's, you know, we have a designer who wants to learn some JavaScript. And so they're paired with one of our entry level devs or, whether it's something more in depth than that. But then on a project level, by introducing this ownership, it's given more opportunities for the entry level folks to do some of that mentoring and that pairing, because now they have expertise in something that the rest of the team doesn't. And so, you know, one of our team members, she was in charge of the authorization for the project. And so she spent a lot of time doing research about different authorization implementations and learning some different access control models. And then she was able for the duration of our time working on that feature to be pairing with people to explain like why we're making the implementation choices that we're making and also just explain the underlying concepts, which was really great. Um, It was really fun to see.
0: That's cool. One thing that we like to do is to have people basically become buddies to the next people who get hired. So, you know, we, we try to give a, a new hire, especially an entry level new hire, somebody to work with who who is only six months to a year like ahead of them. And I think that that's valuable, I think, because often somebody who's like only six months to a year ahead of you has some insight into your perspective that a more senior level person might not. And also because I think it's great for people to have the opportunity to mentor and teach even relatively early in their careers. It's, it's a great way to learn. I think it's a great way to help with confidence, the confidence you were talking about, you know, to, to come to the realization that, hey, you have picked up a bunch of things that you can pass on. Um, so where we can do that and we, we can't always just logistically, we really try to. Yeah,
1: that's awesome. I think especially if you're hiring enough, that's a great way to help reinforce some of the learning and the understanding because teaching is one of the best ways to learn.
0: Yeah. We also like to have, if possible, you know, relatively entry-level people be involved in the hiring process for future entry-level people, but that's a separate, I think a somewhat separate conversation. What are some of the things that you need to do as a lead developer or a more senior person to give that kind of support to the entry-level people on your team? One
1: of the biggest things is to prepare yourself for delegating. Delegating is really, really hard, especially if you've been in that senior role for a while. To let go of some of that control and some of that responsibility can be a challenge. So I think that's step one. And then after that, I think you have to be very open to giving and receiving feedback. So your role in providing this support is ultimately to help somebody grow. So make sure that you are constantly thinking about ways that the person is doing an amazing job and passing that feedback on while also thinking about ways that they could improve for next time.
0: Yeah. One thing I always like to say about feedback, though, is that it is really helpful if you have a goal in mind when you offer feedback and don't consider giving the feedback to be a goal in and of itself the goal is to help the entry-level person like move forward and right. so offer the feedback with that goal in mind.
1: Yeah, I think you could do a whole episode about feedback. There's a lot that goes into it and a lot to think about when you're giving somebody feedback.
0: Well, that just begs the question, like what?
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is something I am constantly trying to improve It's really important when you're giving feedback to keep it kind. And like you said, keep it focused on a goal. One way that I've found to be really helpful is to provide ideas for solutions. And by that, I don't mean telling somebody like you did it wrong, fix it this way. But if you're saying, something about like, you know, I noticed that you sent this email a few times and you didn't get a response back. Maybe it's because it was kind of hard to understand. These lines seemed a little confusing. Maybe next time we could write it this way, or maybe next time we can set up a phone call to talk through these more complex technical pieces and we can shorten that communication timeline. Because when you do it that way, I think you're not saying there's only one right answer, but it's also helping the person see that you are focused on the outcome and focused on how can we get you there next time. And it's not about you know them and not knowing what they're doing.
0: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. What are some things to look for if you're in the lead developer position that are kind of yellow flags or red flags that that maybe indicate that more support is needed to help the person move forward?
1: Yeah, one of the things that I try to be on the lookout for is just engagement. So engagement in the project, engagement in the meetings, or just engagement as a coworker in general. I think as a lead dev, since you are facilitating somebody taking on more responsibility, it's really important for you to check in and see how they're doing personally. So like, how does this all feel? Is any of this overwhelming? You know, try to identify some of those yellow flags and red flags before they become a problem. And I also think, you know, if you tend to see patterns of, you know, this person does really amazing with their verbal communication trying to spend some additional time helping with the written side of it or being willing as the lead dev who's in that support role to give more time where it's needed is really important.
0: Great. Anything else you think people should know about guiding entry-level developers forward?
1: The one thing that we didn't really touch on that I would want to bring up is just how important it is There's a trend right now, I think, in just the tech market of everybody's trying to hire senior devs, and it's just not sustainable to hire a team of all seniors. And I think there's this perception that it's too expensive for your senior dev to spend time mentoring and teaching an entry-level developer. And when you really take a step back and think about the recruiting costs and The salary and the attrition because you can't have six senior devs and expect there to be career growth, and you know, on and on the cycle continues. It really isn't more expensive, and it really is worth the investment to hire those entry level folks and to invest in them and to invest in your senior talent too, so that they can get this mentoring and coaching experience. Because you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about how great it is for our entry level folks to level up but you know this is also a great way for your senior talent to level up and get that experience that they don't if all they're doing is coding all day
0: yeah i think that's a great point and a good point to go out on i think where can people find you online if they want to talk to you some more about mentoring or entry-level developers or anything else
1: Yeah, I'm at Mercedes Codes on Twitter, and my website is mercedesbernard.com. I've got a blog on there that I try to keep updated relatively frequently.
0: And you're going to be presenting on this topic at RubyConf in a couple months as we record this, right?
1: Yes, I am. I haven't finished that talk yet, but it'll be great.
0: You have time. Yeah. <laughs> you have time. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Thank you very much for being on the show. Awesome. Thanks, Noel. Tech Done Right is a production of Table XI and is hosted by me, Noel Rappin. I'm at Noel Rapp on Twitter, and Table XI is at Table XI. The podcast is edited by Mandy Moore. You can reach her on Twitter at TheRubyRap. Tech Done Right can be found online at techdoneright.io or wherever you get your podcasts. You can send us feedback or ideas on Twitter at tech underscore done underscore right. TableXI is a UX design and software development company in Chicago with a 15-year history of building websites, mobile applications, and custom digital experiences for everyone from startups to storied brands. Find us at TableXI.com where you can learn more about working with us or working for us. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode of Tech Done Right.